This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 212, and this week I am pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Hello, Jerry. Hey, thanks for having me back again. I appreciate it. Good. How you been doing? I've been I've been doing mostly good. Um you know, 8 8 months on HRT, I get my fun mood swings. So <laughs> Yeah, I've heard I've heard I've spoken to other trans girls over the years it's uh that's uh, that's a period it seems to be a period where a lot of mood swings happen yeah and it, it happened with wrestlemania weekend unfortunately so you know i write all this wrestling and then at the end of it i'm just like nobody's reading this and like you know metaphorically throw my laptop across the room and got very upset yeah no i know what you mean it can be really uh it can be upsetting if you, you think you put a lot of hard work into something and uh yeah. It yeah, like, like it's one of those things I kind of knew would happen, but you have the emotional imbalance and it just fuels your fire. Yeah. So I, mean, I had a, a yeah. Sorry to mean this, this this weekend was this year was a a rough weekend for a rough year for fan interest in yeah. WrestleMania weekend. It uh, really was, and I and I think part of it is I try to force the fan interest because I really usually am into WrestleMania weekend, so I did not want to not be into it, mm-hmm. especially after last year. And unfortunately, combined that with the just disinterest in general, I suffered a minor burnout. Thankfully, it pulled back quickly. It came back quickly. Otherwise, that would suck because I hate being burned out on wrestling. So I am glad to be on today to talk wrestling. Yeah. So we'll get back to some Japanese wrestling. Hopefully that's... uh... Well, I'll say it's better and worse because we have some really good matches to talk about today. And one really, really bad match to talk about today, uh, as we'll get into it. Um, but yeah, so this is the day after my birthday. So uh-huh. if I sound a little tired and burnt out, I had a long weekend, a good week, good long weekend, like all celebratory, but I went a little too hard yesterday on my actual birthday. <laughs> like I should have, this was like my first time, you know, I've been vaccinated, obviously fully vaccinated for a while. Like, you know, I got my second shot, like my second shot in like mid March, but like you know, waiting for other people to get fully vaccinated, we really didn't have any like large gathering of friends up until yesterday. 
So, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was great to see everybody for the first time in, you know, over a year, but like, I went a little bit too hard at the drinking. <laughs> so, you know, um, I, I, I think it's a combination of, I did drink a lot in like five hours of, you know, that we were out, but also like, uh, I think my body just wasn't used to it. Not that I haven't been drinking at home, you know, drinking home plenty, but not for like, you know, five hours straight, like, you right. know, partying with friends. It's a little different. So absolutely. Yeah. I think my, my body just like couldn't handle it. Cause like I, th- I actually fucking threw up yeah. when we got back to the hotel. We, we were staying at this weekend and yeah, I never throw up from, up from drinking. So, <laughs> you know, that was a very unpleasant experience. Yeah. But, uh, I'm feeling okay now and just yeah. a little hungover, maybe a little tired, but trying to battle through it here. <laughs> yeah. And just real quick, speaking of unpleasant experience, I got my second vaccination Friday mm. and sa- Oh, it was Saturday special. <laughs> yeah. I well, I woke up feeling fine. And so I did like well, any dumbass after getting their second vaccination, we do. We went to work Yeah. two hours in work. I realized I had made a mistake. <laughs> I ended up going to bed at 7:45 last night. Yeah. After I got from work, was my whole body, my whole body was just a aching, cramping mess, and I was exhausted and nauseous. I had a headache. It all melted away in my sleep, but oh gosh, was Saturday just a nightmare? Like my boss came to me, was like, "Jerry, you got all your work done," and I looked at him, hey, "Yeah, but at what cost?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's uh, it is rough. It I is rough. This, but so. I'm glad to get it done. Yeah, exactly. It's something. Once you get that done, you know, at least you don't have to worry about getting COVID. Oh, now I'm already. You know, I'm already trying to figure out when my first wrestling trip is going to be. You know, I'm planning to go visit a friend in Pittsburgh. It's like, oh my gosh, I like obviously I'm not like 100 free to do what I want, but I can do certain things I haven't been able to do in over a year, and that in two weeks, and that feels yeah. great. Yeah. And like the case numbers are, I, I don't, you know, obviously don't want to sound disrespectful because obviously there's lots of other parts of the world where yes. cases are still on the rise, but they're plummeting in the Northeast, at least where I live. Like yeah. Way, way down. Yeah. In New York, and you're right. It's, yeah. you know, it, you know, I do have to take pause and realize things are just really awful other places, but you know, I can't help but feel a little relieved at the same time on a personal level. Yeah, I mean, things were bad in America for so long, and we failed at so many aspects of this pandemic that, you know, finally being vaccinated yeah. and, and finally I th- being able to go out and do stuff. I mean, it was the most normal I felt. Uh, you know, yesterday was the most normal I felt, even though I was, you know, obviously wearing masks and stuff like that when we weren't. Of course. You know, we did outdoor dining. But yeah, I mean, it was still the most normal things felt since uh, COVID started. So it was really, really good feeling. Um, but. Like the part of the reason why I got sick actually is because like so we we went to this place in uh, a, a part of Brooklyn called Industry City, which is really cool if people haven't been over there. Like it's very I shouldn't say really cool. It's kind of yuppie ish, you know. It's like a very like they converted these warehouses into like you know like dining and bars and shops, but it's a nice area and it's a good place to like gather pe- with people because especially during this COVID era, like the, these buildings have like a lot of outdoor space between them. So like there's plenty of room for like outdoor dining and not the the kind of scary Manhattan outdoor dining where like you're in the middle of a road basically and like cars are going behind you because I've done that too. And it's a little, it's a little disturbing when you're like, you're trying to eat and like a car just zooms behind you. They, they can't go that fast in Manhattan, but still like, okay. 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> I experience. Because like the people haven't been to New York since it started. Like the outdoor dining in New York for a lot of these places is literally just the street. So like they build these like these awnings or like these structures, uh, usually with like one the other side open, you know, so you get the airflow. And but it's basically just like this little plywood wall they erected, someone erected, very last minute between you and the rest of the street, and like these cars going behind you, and it is very jarring sometimes, especially when these cars go way too fast through them. But uh, but yeah, this you know, Industry City not really like that at all. Industry City's like, you know, you have you know, you're, you these these giant like warehouse buildings and like you know lots of in, lots of outdoor space between them, so it's like you know obviously no cars there. Um, but yeah, so we went to this, this, uh, Japanese izakaya, which is called Waku Waku, which I think is very, very recent, actually a recent, uh, I don't know how the hell they managed to open a restaurant during COVID, but I think they did. Um, and we were there for like three hours, which is about how long I planned to stay out. But then we just started hearing like really loud music and we were like all kind of drawn to it after we finished (laughs) eating and like. It was like, wow, loud music. Really haven't heard much of that during COVID, obviously. And they, they basically had like this outdoor DJ set up uh, with like extreme white per- white person dancing and had like a little bar set up in the corner. So we we bought, I bought way too many drinks at that point. And that's where I got in trouble. Uh, but we stayed there like another two hours. But yeah, it was great. Like the, the DJ was playing this horrible mix I can only, only describe as like... Um, a lot of it was like '90s dance hits, like fucking KTU shit for people who are in the New York area. Like very, uh, like extreme '90s dance music for most of it, with like some more modern stuff mixed in. And for some reason, he kept playing this. Like people, you know, the DJs have sound effects, right? And he, this DJ, loved this foghorn that sounds exactly like the Hartford Whalers goal horn from when that <laughs> was an NHL team, which made me and my friends like laugh every single time he played it because all of a sudden you just hear like. You know, it would be in the middle of some fucking 90s dance song and you hear, it's like, it was just so fucking funny. But uh, yes, yeah, so that was, that was the party in Industry City. It was a lot of fun. So definitely the most, like a group of eight people, which is like, you know, the most, the most people I've been around since COVID started, that is for sure. Hey folks, here's an awkwardly inserted plug for the Omakase Patreon, because I forgot to do this while we're recording live. Uh, but I definitely need to let you know that the Wrestling Omakase Patreon is, you know, off to... We're doing tons of cool stuff this month and last month, too, uh, which you can listen to all right now uh, for only $5 at patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. The big thing for the month of April uh, was the Champion Carnival coverage. So you could join in, um, you know, f- basically go back, listen to every single night of Champion Carnival uh, all the coverage is up on the Omakase Patreon. I review every single match in detail. I tell you which matches are worth your time, which ones you can skip. Uh, I give you like a top 10 matches for the entire tournament. And, you know, so if you want all that kind of coverage, if you're behind on the tournament uh, and just want to know what you want to pick and choose, it's great for that. I will give you, you know, the best and worst matches of the tournament. Simple for you to jump in and listen uh, jump in and watch, I'm sorry. But you can listen to me go over all of it if you want. These are like b- more bite-sized episodes, around 30 minutes each. Uh, so, you know, definitely easier to digest. But yeah, uh, those are all up for you right now. Again, at patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. We also just did a new five matches episode last week on the Patreon uh, with myself and Kevin Chiat uh, from the Voices of Wrestling website. 
And, you know, that episode was very well received by people who heard it. You know, I received a, quite a bit of positive feedback on it. So, you know, if you want to learn about Australian wrestling, uh, you know, Kevin goes into like the history because he's Australian and he goes into the history of Australian wrestling. Uh, he goes into, you know, some really funny anecdotes and stuff like that. Uh, just some really interesting stuff. He, we cover two two Australian matches on the episode uh, that were really quite fun to watch and quite fun to talk about. We also cover uh, Kevin Nash versus Sting from Australia, just tying with that theme uh, from a random episode of Nitro, which is also fun to talk about for very different reasons. Plus two uh, like spring Japanese matches, uh, you know, the time at the time of year. Uh, Naomichi Marafuji versus Kendo Miyahara in the Champion Carnival Final from 2018, and uh, Shinya Hashimoto and Keiji Mudo from the uh, Wrestling Dantaku show in 1995, so for the IWGP Heavyweight title. So, you know, all those matches were covered on there. Uh, you know, lots of stuff. That was a really fun episode, so you can listen to it right now by signing up with the Patreon. For the rest of May, uh, you know, we have another show, exclusive full episode going up on Tuesday with myself and Gerard from Voices of Wrestling. He and I will be covering the uh, both nights of Wrestling Dantaku, on Monday and Tuesday, and the All Japan Champion Carnival Finals for Monday. So the only way you'll be able to hear my thoughts on any of those three shows, both Dantaku Nights and the Champion Carnival Final, is to sign up for the Patreon. The rest of May, we're going to have tons of exclusive stuff. We'll be resuming our our, uh, series covering every single Tokyo Dome main event in order, not just New Japan, not just January 4th. Uh, We left off in like 95, I believe. So we're jumping into the heart of the New Japan versus UWFI feud, so that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so you can go back and listen to all those episodes we did leading up to Wrestle Kingdom, and now we'll be resuming the series again with uh, a New Japan Tokyo Dome event scheduled for late May. So that will be the big thing for May. So definitely going to be some really fun historical content on there. So you get the best of both worlds. You get historical content, and you get now content. Uh, it's all up there right now for only $5. Again, patreon.com slash wrestling omakase you know talk to any patron they will tell you i do so much audio on there probably more than some of you can keep up with but you could definitely never uh definitely can't claim i'm stealing your five bucks Uh, you get tons and tons of audio on there exclusive to the patreon and you know if you're into historical stuff it's there if you're into current stuff it's there you know you can pick and choose or you can listen to it all but again it's only on the patreon patreon.com slash wrestling omakase only $5. All right. It's kind of a long plug, uh, probably because I didn't feel guilty for making the guest sit there and listen to it. But let's get back to this week's free show. Uh, how's you, other, than, other than the vaccine, your weekend was pretty normal, I guess? Pretty normal. You know, vaccine worked. I, ha- I had lunch with a friend. I was going to watch some wrestling Saturday night, and then I fell asleep at 7.45 p.m., so that kind of went out the door. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's a you know good weekend. So you know, yeah, um, the, amount, the amount of stuff I did this weekend is why I didn't get through all this wrestling. But we'll, we'll get to. But a show I did watch in full was the Pro Wrestling Noah show from April 29th in Nagoya, Noah the Glory. Uh, that show was Noah's first big show in a while. Uh, this was a good show. I would say the the top two really strong. Uh, really, it's you know it's like most Noah shows where like. There's really nothing on the undercard that I can say is, like, even close to must-watch. So, like, there's nothing really horrible on it either. There's a lot of average stuff and a lot of, like, pretty good stuff. But, like, 
you know, the so like the, the first six matches, pretty much, I think you could pretty easily skip if you're, you know, short on time. But if you watch it, you're not going to regret watching it or anything. But the top two matches right. were awesome. So, like, if you're short for time, definitely watch the top two matches. Like, those to me are not skippable. Those are two awesome matches. And the bottom six matches, uh, you know, are more like if you have the time. Uh, I do want to give a shout out too to the English commentators who I, I think I really like the, the English commentators on Noah. You know, I think English commentary in Japanese wrestling can always be, uh, you know, sort of hit or miss. And the the English commentary here for Noah, um, you know, these two guys, they're very, um, you know, comfortable calling a wrestling show like it's a sporting event, right? Like there's no, uh, there's not a lot of like banter or anything like that. Like nothing like when Kevin Kelly has, uh, God, what the hell's his name? Mr. Juicy. Uh, I don't, I don't can't remember his actual name. Uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about though. Uh, nothing like when Kevin Kelly is on with him and like they're arguing, you know, they do that little playful arguing and he's playing heel. Like these two guys are uh, just straight up calling this Noah show like they're watching a sporting event. Like it's very, you know, you can tell they have a background in, you know, calling, you know, MMA stuff and, you know, other sports. And they, they just really call this thing like they're watching, you know, a sporting event. It, it really matches Noah, you know, like Noah is a very no nonsense promotion, uh, you know, other than the fact that they have a, a unit of disco dancers. But anyway. Uh, for the most part, they're very no nonsense. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm all about uh, the disco dancers. <laughs> for the most part, they're a very no nonsense promotion. They definitely don't do a lot of, they don't really do any like interference or, you know, uh, bullshit finishes or anything. So the, the the commentary style I think really matches, uh, you know, the the wrestling here, and it's a very it's a very good match, where you know it's a very this is a very like, you know, treat wrestling as a sport promotion and. The announcing, I think, really does match that the English announcing. So, yeah, I I did watch this with the English announcing, and I agree. I really did like the English commentary. I thought they did a good job of enhancing certain things and not detracting or subtracting at all, or at the very least, very little. Um, I know English commentary for various Japanese promotions sometimes can be very hit and miss. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to hit on Kevin Kelly or anything. I think people might take that as a shot, but like, you know. I like Kevin Kelly a lot. I think his his color commentators can be a little more hit or miss, honestly. Yes. Uh, but, you know, with Noah, I think they're both guys here. Uh, I know Mark Pickering is a color commentator. I don't remember the play-by-play guy's name. I should have wrote that down. But they're both they're both really good at their jobs. I mean, they both do a good job. Um, you know, they, they, they clearly do a lot of research beforehand. You know, um, you know, I know at one point, like, in the junior, I think it was, like, the junior tag title match, like, you know, one of them pulled out that Ikuda Hodaka was like junior tag champion 15 years ago or something. Yeah. Okay. Glad you did your homework here. So, yeah. Listening Um, to them pull out certain things reminds me how, you know, only recently have I really started watching Noah. It's like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) this is is what I get for not doing my homework. (laughs) There you go. So let's start the main event and work our way down. We'll start with the GHC heavyweight title match. Uh, Keiji Muto defeating Masa Kitamiya in 22-53. So we started here on the mat. Muto was largely controlling the larger Kitamiya. Uh, that went on basically for the whole five minutes before Kitamiya finally took over. Uh, he got a headlock and met on the mat and then he hit this big shoulder block and front suplex uh, when they stood back up. 
and the mat work, I liked the mat work. The mat work was good. It wasn't like, uh, you know, it's not like it was super fast or anything. I mean, you know, Cajun mm-hmm. was very old. Uh, so it's not going to be super fast mat work, but like, you know, the, it looked good. Everything, you know, it wasn't like it was super boring or anything. Uh, Muto came back later though, with his signature dragon screws and a figure four. Uh, but Kid Amiya was able to make the ropes to break. Muto then goes right back to the dragon screw and a second figure four. Uh, he even cheats a tiny bit by using the ropes for leverage that time, which I liked, you know, just basically Muto like, you know, being like, I'm, I'm old and I'm in the face with this, like, you know, uh, strong dude. I got to do what I can here to get an edge. Uh, but Kid Amiya was able to again, get the rope break. Uh, Kid Amiya came back with this big standing senton just after the 15 minute call. And Muto then countered with a knee attack and then tried a Shining Wizard. Kidamiya got his arms up the block. A second try gets the Shining Wizard for Muto, but Kidamiya no-sells it and hits a big sight to suplex, which leaves both guys down. I For some reason, the Shining Wizard is like one of my favorite moves to be no-sold because it just looks like, I don't know, it's, it's hard to describe exactly why, but like when that guy goes down, it just like gets right back up. It, it always gets me. Uh, you know, for 20 fucking years has gotten me. It's just a great spot as far as, like, a great move to be no-sold. It's very, just very dramatic. Uh, Kidamiya hits his big knee buster uh, where, like, picks Muto all the way up on his shoulder, just drops him straight down, and then locks in his prison lock. Great setup there for the prison lock where you're really like, uh, okay, is he really going to tap out this guy with this? Uh, but Muto was able to make it to the ropes to break. But Kidamiya gets a big headbutt on Muto when he tries to fight back. He runs him over with a lariat, then gets a huge pile driver, gives an up yours to the crowd for some reason, <laughs> uh, picks Muto up and delivers another Saito suplex. He's a little slow to cover, and Muto kicks out. But I, first of all, Muto bumped his ass off in this match. I mean, just all those moves I just said he took. I mean, you know, he, he just took a lot of moves in this match. Uh, and, you know, Saito, or I mean, not Saito, sorry, <laughs> Kitamiya, after he hit that Saito suplex, it was like, you know, it was just a great, like, uh, barrage of moves there where you really buy that, like, he might be putting Muto away here. Uh, Kidamiya, though, and after Muto kicks out, Kidamiya reapplies the prison lock. Then he delivers another big headbutt to Muto when, he, when they're in the hold. Just after the 20-minute call, it's a sick shoot headbutt. Uh, he gives his big roar afterward. They have been, they kept promoting this match with, like, this, like, Godzilla, uh, you know like kind of promotional video stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I guess timely because of Godzilla vs. King Kong, but like, you know, it can be a roar like Godzilla here. Like he was, after he hit his headbutt. <laughs> he gave this big roar. Um, and he busted himself open on the headbutt to give you, which gave some extra visual flair here. Uh, but Muto finally did make the ropes to break. And then Kitamiya stays on Muto's leg. He's stretching against the ropes. He tosses down the refs when the ref tries to stop him. And hits this, like, big body attack to the leg where he just runs at Muto's leg against the ropes. Starts punching the knee. And the referee finally has to physically grab him and push him back. Kitamiya slams the ref to the mat. He's, like, standing on all fours. And Muto charges out of nowhere and gives a shining wizard to Kitamiya using the ref as a springboard. That was fucking awesome. That was my favorite moment in the match. That was so fucking awesome. That was a... So, so that was a callback to a famous... Tokyo Dome tag team main event in New Japan in 2001, I think. It could have been 2002, where it was Muto and uh, Hiroshi Hase against Yuji Nagata and Jun Akiyama. And yeah, Muto used, I believe, his own partner 
as the springboard. It could have been either Nagata or it could have been Nagata or something. But I believe he used the partner's springboard to hit the move on Akiyama or or Nagata. One of the two. But it's a really famous spot is the is the uh important part of it where the, the springboard shining wizard. And you know, to see them do another one here, you know, using the ref as a springboard this time was really, really cool. Uh Muto then delivers a second shining wizard. Kidamiya fucking no sells it again. He goes for the Saito suplex again. Muto counters the punch to the head in midair. That was awesome. He then hits three straight Shining Wizards, the second one to the back of the head, and that's finally the pin for Muto to retain. So this match absolutely fucking ruled, and the people who say Keiji Muto doesn't have it anymore physically and can't be champion really are going to have to explain this performance to me. He was awesome here. He made Masa come across like a huge threat to his title, before he finally vanquished him. He made Kitamiya look honestly like as big of a threat as he has in his entire Noah career. Kitamiya was great too, but I really thought this was the Keiji Muto show. So I gave this match four and a quarter. Um, it's the same rating on, I went on the semi-main, not to spoil that, I guess, for you, but I thought this was the match of the night. I like this even better than the semi-main, which I would not have guessed going in. But yeah, the, the Keiji Muto title reign... I, I just, like, the people who really hate it at this point, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you, you're starting to sound like people who hate fun. Because this Mudo title <laughs> reign is fun. I love it. I enjoy it every time out. And, like, I don't know. I just, he, yeah, he's not going to be uh, 1992 Keiji Mudo on every night, obviously. He's not going to be 1992 Keiji Mudo any night. And he's not going to bring this type of performance every night. He's old. But he still has the presence to make it work, and he bumped his ass off here for Kitamiya. Like, the people who act like Mudo is, like, is a paraplegic or something, I just don't understand. Like, this man can move. This man can go. He's not, like, going at, like, he was 10 years ago, even. But, like, look at look at some of the bumps he took in this match. He still can make it, can make it work when he has to make it work. And, you know, I just, I think he's a, he's been a fantastic wrestler. Uh, or maybe that's a little too strong, but he's been a great wrestler and he has fantastic presence. That is for sure. And he still has a fantastic crowd connection. I mean, he gets these people to react, uh, you know, audibly when they're not supposed to during these, which is like maybe the, the hardest thing to do during this, uh, this COVID era. So I don't know. I just think like the Mudo, the Mudo haters, the people who hate this title reign, you, you, maybe I take the L on this one. Cause I think he's been great. And I, I just don't see what, like, like with especially with Goshiozaki needing surgery, like, I don't really see what would be better than this. Like, you know, like, or at least be so much better that, like, this is, like, they, like I don't see what the opportunity cost is here. Like, isn't, we've seen, uh, you know, we've seen Kiyomiya as champion before. He will be champion again. I don't think, you know, holding off on another Kaito Kiyomiya reign is like a big deal when the kid's like fucking 23 or whatever. I mean, he has plenty of time to be champion and like who else in this company is like, so needs to be champion that the, the KG Muto reign uh, is like some affront to justice or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. I think this reign is good. And as long as he keeps putting on performances like this, I have no problem with it. So I went on forever, Jerry. I'm very sorry, but please tell me your thoughts on this match. You, you were so passionate there, and I'm kind of tugging on my collar at the moment because <laughs> um, I went way lower on this match. Oh, um, I went three and a quarter. Um, 
The first two thirds of the match really did not grab me, but the final one third, the final one third kicked ass. Um, you're talking about Muda bumping like crazy. Muda, Muda shows that as broken as his body may be, Boot Muda is not afraid to take a bump at all. And we talked about the shining wizard off the ref's back. That that was just fucking awesome. I don't care what you think about Muda's reign or Muda's matches. That's just fucking awesome. Come on. You had the headbutt where Kidam, where he started Kidamon. I am bad at pronunciation. I apologize. Kidamia. Kidamia. Thank you very much yeah. for correcting me. Kidamia started bleeding. That kind of made me cringe a little bit. Um, headbutts usually do nowadays, honestly. Not just from him. It's not just me, you know, getting on his case. Just whenever I see a hard butt headbutt and someone bleeds, it's like, uh. But it was still a cool spot. Um. So I can get up three and a quarter, which is still good. I thought this was a good match. Do not get me wrong. And what I like about Muda's reign is eventually it has to end. And when I I don't mean that in a, come on, I hope Muda's reign ends. I mean, uh, I'm very curious to see who gets to rub. I want right. to see who gets the beats Muda. Because Muda, in my perspective, is this champion who should not be champion. And I'm not saying that in a, I can't believe they made Muda champion. I mean, you know, he's, what, 59? Yeah. 59, as I said in my written review, you know, he has metaphorical duct tape keeping together what shouldn't move, and he has metaphorical WD-40 keeping active what should be inactive. You know, he shouldn't be champion, but yet here he is holding the title and beating very hungry and game challengers. Yeah. So I am very interested to see who gets it. And that intrigues me, and that's why I think even though I'm not as thrilled with his title reign, I think it works because someone's going to beat this legend. Someone's going to cut down this legend. And even if it's someone who's already made or someone who will be made from doing it, there's going to be mileage getting out of that. Mm -hmm. I don't care how old and broken down Muda is. I don't care how much people are groaning at him being champion. That's going to work. I, I agree. Um, so three and a quarter, I will be honest that I also watched this match when it aired live. So it was like, 4.30 a.m. in the morning when I watched this. Mm -hmm. So I've been up since 1.30 when I watched this. There's a very good chance I'll watch this and bump that up. But I just wasn't as into this as you were, which is fine. <laughs> we, you, we had this with the Osprey Shingo match, I remember. Yeah. So, although I yeah. think in the end I ended up still ranting. ranting. But, um... For, for people who are wondering, like, the grapple average right now is a 3.6. So I guess a little closer to you than me. I will say it's dragged down. It's only 25 ratings so far and it's dragged down by some fucking psycho gave it two stars. So I would, Anello, I would definitely not put it in that range. Anello De Angelis, whoever the hell you are, you're a psycho pal. It's not a two star match. But yeah. A lot of like a lot of three and a halfs, uh, some fours, I think only a lot of three and three quarters. And then one guy agreed with me and gave it four and a quarter. So I'm not surprised I'm in the high range here, but yeah. I mean, really honestly, like if I rewatched this, I probably would end up bumping it up, but it wouldn't be as high. I probably would not bump it up as high as you though. Yeah. But I'm not, but let me be clear. This is a good match and I would definitely say, watch it. I think Lanza gave it four too, which is. Another. Wow. Lanza liked it. Yeah. Which he, I mean, he's been hard That's on just so condescending. Way. Lanza don't get mad when you hear that. <laughs> Lanza liked it. Well, because he's been he has been kind of hard on the Mudo Rain at times. Yeah, uh, honestly, yeah, I'm surprised yeah. I got I was allowed to do the Noah review after I gave the last Muda defense four stars. So <laughs> it's like you um, gave Muda what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, afterwards, the whole M's Alliance came to the ring and posed together. 
and that led to Marafuji challenging a stable mate Mudo for the GHC title, uh, which will happen on June 6th at the Cyberfight Festival at the Thomas Super Arena. So that's booked already. Um, you know, the good thing, I guess, for no for Noah and DDT is that even in the event that the uh, ongoing state of emergency gets, you know, extended past May 11th, which, you know, it seems very possible, um, you know, and they, they can't run fan shows in Tokyo. Obviously, this is in Saitama, which is not currently covered by the state of emergency. So this show will be able to go without any problems, whereas obviously New Japan's Tokyo Dome at the end of May is... Uh, very uh in the you know in the crosshairs here the yokohama show will be okay the stadium show so i guess like worst case well i don't know how you could do that i was gonna say maybe you could move the okada uh versus probably osprey match to yokohama but i don't know if you would know in time you know so i don't know they've already new japan already canceled their their corkins uh leading up to yokohama which is you know they're not going no one DT are running empty arena corkins new japan's not going that route they're just canceling these corkins so it shows, I guess, what I think most people kind of thought, which is like, even at like running with like 300 fans, they they were clearly making an off of the attendance to make it worth their while. Whereas like, you know, they weren't just running them just for the New Japan world. Because obviously if they if they were running it just to have content for world, they would run these empty arena shows. Whereas like no one DDT clearly are running them primarily to have content for Abima and Wrestle Universe. So, you know, the shows are still happening. Uh, but yeah, so that sh- that match will happen at the Cyber Fight Festival show. Uh, you know, both title matches are basically the Legend Outsider Champion versus the Company Legend because you have now Mudo versus Marafuji uh, and the previously announced Akiyama versus Hiroshima for the KOD open openweight title. Uh, I think I hiccup there. Excuse me. <laughs> but yes, uh, so that makes a lot of sense. You know, for these two big matches in Saitama Super Arena. I kind of think both champions will retain. I guess we'll see, but I don't expect either one to lose here. Uh, Mudo did accept the challenge with like a little hand gesture, which I thought was cute. So uh, there you go. So the semi-main event, the GHC national title, uh, is Takashi Sugera defeating Kazuki Fujita in 1808 with the Olympic Slam. Uh, so Sugera becomes the fifth champion uh, as Fujita fails in his first defense. Uh, I'm glad I got it. So people saw on my Twitter, I, I, when I went to the, this uh, Japanese bookstore in Manhattan called Kinokuniya, you know, they have, they frequently have issues of weekly pro wrestling. And I saw this great cover with like these two old men, Mudo and Fujita on the cover, like looking deranged with their, their two GHC belts over each shoulder. Uh, and I was like, I have to get this, you know, and I did buy, and I bought it, even though they're, they're fucking upcharged for uh, weekly pro is so ridiculous, like 1099 or something. But yeah, I had to get that cover for that issue for that cover. And obviously, it's even more of a collector's item now that uh, Fujita's already lost the national title here. But uh, I really like the start of this match. You, you think they're going to do the big stare down again, but then Sugera just charges at Fujita and boots him in the face before too long. It's like, <laughs> no, there will be no stare down. We were, we're fighting. Uh, and then they get into some mat wrestling, uh, you know, which shows off both guys' amateur backgrounds. Uh, that ends up in kind of a stalemate. And they trade these hard elbows with Fujita getting the edge and knocking Sugera down. Uh, later on, we get another very physical strike exchange. Fujita just lighting up Sugera with elbows and a hard slap to the face. Fujita keeps shoving the referee aside as he keeps throwing more and more elbows in the corner, followed by a big German suplex. Uh, Sugera comes back with his ankle lock out of nowhere 
and Fujita struggles for a long time before finally making the ropes to break. He's a better seller than you might expect for a show called uh, so-called shoot style guy. So, you know, he, he, I think it's one of these things he doesn't get enough credit for. Uh, the two of them trade German suplexes after that. Sugera especially just gets dropped right on his head, like straight down, which the, the English announcers definitely were like pointing that out. Like that was a bad landing for Sugera. Uh, Fujita powerbombs Sugera a little later and then like pushes him off that powerbomb straight into two straight sick as hell punk kicks. This is a great transition. He powerbombs him down. He's like pushes him to the side. So he's like on his, you know, on his arms and knees and then just like runs up with that punk kick and then delivers a second one. Just a really sick spot that I thought at first might have been a finish, but uh, it was not. <laughs> but yes, uh, you know, especially when these Fujita matches can often end pretty early. I mean, I really thought that could have been the finish. Uh, but yeah, so then we get, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought here. So then he keeps like, uh, knocking, like he basically keeps knocking the referee aside when the referee is trying to check on Fujita, but Sugera like manages to avoid a third straight punk kick and encounters with the Olympic slam out of nowhere. There's an awesome sequence there. Uh, they trade these really hard slaps to the face as we get the 15 minute call. I mean, really hard slaps. And Fujita finally puts him down with a pair of equally hard short arm lariats, but all, only gets a two count off of that. Uh, Sugera counters with another Olympic slam out of nowhere, just as Fujita's picking him back up, and that also gets a two count. Uh, Sugera ends up staggering Fujita with elbows. He gets his own punt kicks. He gets two of them in a row as well, just punting the punt master, and that hits yet another Olympic slam, and that's the pin. Awesome war of attrition, super hard-hitting from virtually the opening bell. And again, another guy who continues to defy the haters during his Noah run, just has consistently awesome matches, no matter who he's put up against. It's time for everybody to admit they're wrong about old Ironhead Fujita. He's too fucking good to be uh, slandered on Twitter as like, oh, he's so unsafe, or he's uh, not worth the trouble. He has awesome matches every time out. He has matches that really connect with the fan base in Japan, as you can tell by that uh, Fujita Go match with the stare down last year, coming out of nowhere to almost win match of the year in like various fan polls. Uh, you know, just awesome match here. Four and a quarter stars. This ruled. This fucking ruled. I am now I am now the converted. Fujita rules. I take back any criticism of him I have ever thrown out because this match fucking ruled. It's, I just I can two beefy hard hitting men doing beefy hard hitting things. That's what this girl craves, and I got that here. Um, I was super early in the morning hugging my pink bunny plushy tight. Don't judge. Leaning <laughs> forward as these two just slapped the daylights out of each other. Oh my gosh, those slaps! I'm pretty sure I heard some gas from the crowd from a couple of them because oh oh yeah, these you know these were not these were. Saying they laid it in just feels like I'm not conveying properly these slaps. And like Fujita, there was a point where Fujita's getting hit and Fujita's just like, you know, keep it up. Breaking, like pushing him away going, is that all you got? You know, push him away going, can you hit me harder? And of course, he gets hit harder. You know, um, Takashi just keeps hitting him harder. And it's like he has to pretty much damn near kill Fujita to keep him down. Like, Fujita's rocking him easily, and Takashi's hitting him with everything he's got, and it takes 
until damn near in the match before Fujita finally is like, okay, <laughs> I th- I think you got me here, and it yeah. this just ruled. This was a this was a war. You know, this wasn't a battle. This was a fight. This was a war where you know the iron body of Fujita had to be dented and broken to win this match. Like you could see the physical damage done to both men on their bodies. You know, and um, you can debate whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but both men went in here knowing what they were going to do to each other, and they freaking did it, and I'm, I, I fucking loved it. Um, I This was my favorite match of the night. Um, probably my favorite match of all the wrestling I watched that week. This just hit all the notes I look for. And I gave it four and a quarter as well. This was just great wrestling, and really, I'm willing. I'm willing to admit when I was wrong about a wrestler, and I just never gave Fujita his due, and he's earned it. It's okay, people. You get, it's okay to admit when you're wrong. It's no shame in it, especially when you're getting matches like this thrown in your face. It's a good reward. There you go. I mean, people. Some people. Just, I, I had this rant a few episodes ago. I think where like some people are just a little too stubborn on wrestlers, but like both on both directions where like, if you, if you watch a wrestler a few times and decide that you hate them, uh, you know, it feels like some people then never reevaluate that opinion. Even if like, you know, five years later, the wrestler is great and reverse goes too. I mean, you know, people watch a wrestler once and say they love them. And then five years later, that wrestler is a uh, very mediocre, like maybe say one, uh, AJ Styles in WWE, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, people will still will still insist he's great, uh, in spite of all available all available evidence. So, you know, yeah, and, and it could be a hard thing to do because we just we're just discovering that with me and Vegeta. It could be a hard thing to do to be like, no, 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 my 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 original opinions that were set in stone were wrong. But sometimes, yeah. after, but if you watch enough after a while, either way, you could be like, okay, okay, I see what such and such persons seeing this wrestler or, you know, what such and such persons are criticizing about this wrestler now. Yeah. No one's going to be perfect in that regard, but sometimes, sometimes it happens. When it happens, it can be rewarding. Exactly. Uh, match number six, Naomichi Amerif- Oh, I should mention too, in the post-match, Sakuraba came out and challenged, uh, to challenge, to challenge Sugira. So it'll be another all Sugira goon, uh, national title match. And Fujita, by the way, got taken on a stretcher. I thought he was just selling, but I maybe maybe it could have been a shoot injury. I just don't know what the injury would have been. Right. Just be a blow off of Fujita for a while. Uh, but yeah, so I guess we'll have to see what happens there. Fujita yeah, needs to rest before his iron body rebuilds. Kind <laughs> of twice say, as dangerous. Every time you say his name, I think you're saying Vegeta. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like. Anyway, the Dragon Ball, I'll be a Dragon Ball character. Yeah, like I said, I do have problem pronunciation, no, and I do no, apologize. I, I, I have a terrible pronunciation of every wrestler, yeah. uh, Japanese or otherwise, but I just, it sounds, I, I just hear Vegeta every time. At least I'm not saying fajitas, so we're yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, but yes, so Sakuraba comes out and congratulates Sugera, and he basically says the belt suits him, uh, but then says he wants it. I should also mention the English announcers, they, they provide these translations as we go, which is very helpful. Yes. Uh, and Figuera says, you know, we can do rock, paper, scissors. Uh, if Sakuraba wins, he can challenge. And Sakuraba puts out paper to Figuera's rock. So he is getting a title shot in the future. No no date for that yet, as far as I can tell. 
I looked at some of the upcoming Noah cards and didn't really see it scheduled. But uh, match number six was Kaito Kiyomiya, Yoshiki Inamura, and Kenya Okada losing to the EMS Alliance team of Marafuji, uh, Masaki Mochizuki, and Masato Tanaka. Uh, Marafuji pinned Okada in 1736 with the new Tiger King. Uh, there was a great line in the English commentary again. I don't want, feel like I'm putting over these guys too much. But they <laughs> described Yoshiki Inamura as a man with the power of 10 bears, or each had the power of 10 bears, uh, <laughs> as he was going wild on Tanaka, which I loved. It's a great, great line. Uh, Marafuji got his little step up Nian Okada for the pin. Uh, a little bit of a flat finish, I thought, but the match itself was pretty fun. Uh, Inamura in particular was the highlight of this match. I mean, just. Inamura is usually the highlight. <laughs> Yeah, just going nuts, you know, looking like a beast. Uh, you know, other than that, I thought it was a good match. I would say three and a half. Uh, the highlight of the undercard and a good six-man tag, but, like, nothing's going to make any notebooks or anything like that. So, I went four. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. I, no I, I, just, I think it's just because I had a lot of fun. I just love the – I just love the makeup of Mary Fuji's team and then – and Enamore might be one of my favorite things in wrestling right now. I just have a lot of fun with him when he's in a match. A lot of fun. I just, I always, every time I review his match, I call him an impressive slab of beef. And that's what he is. He's an impressive slab of beef. And you know, he has energy. He has ability. And gosh, does he just, he's just impressive. And I just want to see more of him. So I just thought there was a really fun match. I thought at this point it was the best thing on the show up until this point. Obviously, it didn't. That doesn't hold up. But yeah, I gave it four. I just really had a lot of fun, and I think it's really entertaining. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you if that's the rating you gave it, then uh, you know, translation, you're wrong, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, three and a half and four are not that far apart, I guess. No, it's not like the four and a quarter and three and a quarter. I we gave the main event, so. Yeah. Uh, then we have match number five here for the GHC Junior Tag Team Titles. Uh, Ogawa and Hayata from Stinger defeat Akuta Hadaka and Osawa Rangai from Sugaragoon. Actually, I don't know if they're still with Sugaragoon. Maybe it's just Osawa's random thing now because they seem to be, uh, you know, they just, they just seem to be their own separate things. So I don't know. But like, there's gonna be there's a turn that came that we're gonna I'm gonna talk about in a second on the empty arena corking from today. And, you know, he saw me, of course, who does great work on Twitter, uh, covering Noah at H I five AME on Twitter. She described it as like, uh, this, I won't spoil the person yet, but this person joining up with Nosawa's thing. She didn't describe it as the person joining up with Sugara again. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on anymore. The Noah juniors are a mystery as we'll talk about an ever changing mystery as we'll mention here in a second. Uh, but yes, here Ogawa pinned Nosawa in 1836. He cut back on the super high school clash, class La Magistro, according to the auto translation. I just like that. Super high school class La Magistro. Uh, so the 42nd champions make their fifth defense here. Uh, so the English announcers, like I said, they, Mark Pickering brings up here that uh, Hidaka won the GHC Junior Tag title 16 years ago with his old partner, Minoru Fujita. It's a great little thing to bring back. It's like, I'm sure... It's not hard to look that up. I'm sure it's like on cage match and places like that, but it's a great thing to notice and bring up because like, I, I, you know, I, I fucking forgot that Hidako was junior tag champion with, uh, Minor Fujita 16 years ago. I, I had no idea. So 
I mean, that was a, you know, a great little line here reminding us that he's won these belts before. Uh, and Hayata and Ogawa, they started targeting Nosawa's arm. Then Nosawa and Hidaka go after Hayata's leg. None of that stuff to me was super thrilling. It just kind of went on for a while. Uh, but the, by far the most exciting part of the match to this point was Ogawa like repeatedly body slamming both his opponents yeah. over and over again. Just great stuff from Ogawa. Uh, pretty much right after that, he hits like a really clever nut shot. Basically just sticks his leg up when Hidaka comes off the ropes and kicks him right in the balls, which the ref completely misses. So just a very clever nut shot. Just the kind of like, you know, sneaky stuff that uh, Ogawa has become a master of over the years. And then we get this really fun exchange of flash pin attempts leading up to the finish, uh, which again is Ogawa getting a cutback on Nosawa's La Magistral, which he had been winning a bunch of matches with lately. Uh, and that gets the pin. So yeah, I thought this turned into a fun match by the end, but I can't really go higher than three and a quarter given how boring it was a lot of the way. You know, especially the limb work back and forth, which was very dull and didn't go anywhere. Really had nothing to do with the rest of the match. But, uh, you know, there's nothing I really dislike in wrestling more than like limb work for the sake of limb work that just doesn't have anything to do with the match story. It really is just limb work to kill time. Uh, it just, you know, it just kind of is never fun. It's always annoying. Just not, a, not my thing at all. But, you know, the match did get fun by the end, and I enjoyed it, but it's like nothing that's going to blow you away. Uh, you know, pretty typical, I think, for this title reign. I, I like Ogawa a lot, and I don't really like Hayata. So that's pretty much, you know, that pretty much always evens out to like three and a quarter, three and a half. So I ended up doing two and three fourths. Oh, wow. uh, I just like really, more I, I just really couldn't get into this, except for Ogawa. I totally got into Ogawa. And like you said, that body slim sequence was so much fun. So much fun. What I wrote in my written review was Ogawa gets the pin, which is good, allowing his partner to continue to be a title holder, which is bad. So, so because I'm the same way. I love Ogawa, but the moment he tags out, it's like, uh, okay. If this is what I have to suffer through to get back to more Ogawa, this is what I will do. But, um, yeah, two and three-fourths. I really don't have much to say because I was really... Other than that body slam sequence, not much in this match did it for me. Yeah. Just, uh... You know, it is, it is what it is, I guess. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not that much higher than you. You know, a half-star, but, uh... Yeah. Um, so, he, okay. So here's what happens after the match. Yohei and Seki Yoshioka from Full Throttle come out to challenge afterward. Uh... Hayata just like tosses a mic down, seemingly like completely ignoring his old Rotel's partner, uh, Yohei's request. That was pretty funny. Uh, but okay. But that challenge becomes meaningless like three days later. Have you heard about this? What happened today on today's show? No, I have not heard okay. yet. Okay. So the latest edition of the Noah Jr. mix up frenzy was at the empty arena Corkin today, Sunday, May 2nd. Uh, so Yoshioka turned on the rest of Full Throttle, joined up with Stinger. Yohei ends up with uh, the Sugiragoon or Nosawa thing, whatever you want to call it. And Hajime Ohara ends up with his old rivals, uh, Atsushi Kotogi and Daisuke Harada. So he's part of the Momo no Seishun tag mini unit now. And that hilariously puts him right back with Kotoge after he, after Ohara and Yoshioka kicked Kotoge out of full throttle and replaced him with Yohei last year. And now he's just back with Kotoge again. It's like, do the Noah Juniors know they don't have to have a 
uh, a shakeup every two months. <laughs> like they, do they know it's allowed to remain in your in your same unit for longer than like a day? Because it's like I get it's become a meme at this point. But, like, this one was especially crazy. It's like, okay, full throttles, challenge the junior tag titles. No, wait, no, they're not because they don't exist anymore. And, uh, you know, now O'Hara's back with the guy he just kicked out of full throttle. And, uh, okay, <laughs> sure. Just really bizarre. Uh, I don't know what to say about these, this Noah Jr. mix-up frenzy anymore, except, uh, you know, what the fuck is basically all <laughs> I can say. What the fuck? I fully expect, uh, I don't know fucking Stinger to blow up next, or, uh, you know, someone will turn on uh, Nosawa and kick him out of his own unit, and he'll go join up with Momo Tag, or I, who the fuck knows anymore? Just You, you never know. Oh, it's, those wild, it, wacky juniors. <laughs> maybe they can form Raquel's again for the 15th time. Uh, but yes, yeah, just really, really wacky. Uh, match number four was uh, Murakami, Kazanari uh, uh, Murakami, Kazushikaraba, and Kendo Kashin defeating the Funky Express, Mohamed Yone, Shuhei Tanaguchi, and Masao Inoue. Uh, Sakuraba beat Inoue in 10:48 with a, a sharpshooter. Um, yeah, so the Sugera Green wrestlers they jumped their Funky Express counterparts right at the opening bell. Uh, Murakami was seemingly leading the way in that amazing suit of his, and just like he just turns around and is like, "Okay, let's go." Uh, but then Kendo Kashin tries to attack with the guardrail on the outside, that leads to fucking Murakami of all people basically telling him to calm down. That's sort of like being told by the Hamburglar that you may have stolen a few too many burgers lately. <laughs> like, like, that should have been like like an intervention. Kind of. Like, fucking Kazunori Murakami, the man who comes out dressed like he just got out of... Uh, the Yakuza game series, like he just stepped through the screen and looks like he's m- trying to murder somebody in every match, was like, eh, maybe not so crazy, buddy. Maybe don't attack with this much craziness. And it's like, okay. Like, Kendo Kazuya should really reevaluate his entire life at that point. Uh, unfortunately, the rest of this match can't, leave up to the, can't live up to the fun opening minutes. Uh, you know, it just settles into being pretty dull. And Sakuraba submits, uh, in a way, with the... Sharpshooter I did have an inter- interesting setup at least, but I only went two and a half stars here. Very average, very skippable. Oh, I was bored with this match. So bored. Not not even the power of Funk could save this match, which was disappointing. And then yeah. Funk lost, which was even more disappointing. This was this was a I, I thought this was a dud. I just did not enjoy oh, this match at I all. A dud. Dud. D U D. Capital bold. Uh, I'm not underlined. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, match number three, Kotaro Suzuki against Susumu. That goes 11-02 uh, with a double pinfall. Um, this is all right. A little boring at times. And it ends on that goofy double pin spot Ugh. where like, there's a cradle where both guys' shoulders are down. That that I basically took a quarter star off of the finish because I didn't love the finish. So I went two and three quarters. Uh, really not much to it, in my opinion. Just kind of there. I took off more for that stupid double pin spot. I went two. There you go. Jerry is not having it today. Jerry? She is a- <laughs> if I wake up extremely early in the morning to watch you live and you give me that, yeah, you're losing a lot of points. <laughs> there you go. Uh, match number two was the uh, team of Akatashi Saito and Junta Miyawaki losing to the team of Katsuhiko Nakajima and Neo. Nakajima pins Miyawaki at 1149. 
with the vertical spike. Uh, Saito's dancing, definitely so bad it's good territory. Uh, and the, the sky, he has these sky blue pants, this feather boa, and his blonde hair looks like uh, just, just quite the look. And he just dances right down like, okay, this is something. Because uh, obviously, for, for people who don't know, he in, in a way had to join the Funky Express uh, based on a tag match. And boy, have they joined the Funky Express. They did not. That is one stipulation they definitely lived up to. They have gone, gone funky. Uh, not, no one can accuse Noah of not living up to that stipulation. They said well, no one says you've got to be funky. funky. <laughs> yeah, they said you got to join the Funky Express, and by God, they joined the Funky Express. Uh, the match itself, though, quite dull all the way. You know, Saito's a funny dancer, but uh, he's pretty limited physically at this point. Like, he can still shine randomly in matches. Like, actually, I think he was pretty good in that uh, in the match where the Funky Express uh, absorbed them. And I remember liking him in the GHC title challenge against Go from last year during the empty arena period. But I don't know. In some of these random undercard tags, he has lots of days where he just isn't very good. And this was definitely kind of the case here. But Nakajima kicked very hard, which always uh, keeps my interest for a certain level. So it didn't fall like a bad match or anything. But it was just very average. Uh, I get, went two and a half on this as well. Uh, there you go. I think Nakajima's kicks had more of an effect on him because I actually went a flat three. We will okay. call it the ladies three. Um, ladies three. Ladies three. Like, as I, I think I wrote, you're not going to remember this match. It's not going to stay with you, but eh, it was fine for this placement on the card. And Saito's dancing. Bless him for <laughs> trying. He tries his best. Trying. He tries a lot harder than who is it, Susumu with natural vibes in China. Yeah. He definitely I tries don't know what he's doing, but he's got spirit. <laughs> so. Yeah. And then Nakajima afterwards basically tells Saito that he fucking hates the new funky gimmick and he'll be coming after him more later, which uh not the guy I want telling me uh I'm gonna cut I'm gonna come after you. you no, know? no, no, not no. I mean me me personally I don't want anyone telling me they're gonna come after me, but uh I think Nakajima especially would not be good. Nakajima's high up on my don't please don't ever threaten me list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the opener, the team of Full Throttle, their last, well, their second to last match, because I think it was a Full Throttle six-man tag where Seki Yoshioka turned on them. But they got the win here. Uh, Ohara, Yoshioka, and Yohei beat Atushi Kotoge, Daisuke Harada, and Yasutaka Yano. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing, you know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. 
You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the Slab Pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great Slab Packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club Slab Packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, I'm setting these things off. It's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network uh yohei pins the young boy yano at 1154 this was a pretty good opener uh you know fun little junior opener there was like one bizarre spot where harada and yoshioka like locked arms after Yoshioka blocked something from Harada, and they both just stood there looking at each other awkwardly. And I think the idea was supposed to be that they were like dramatically staring each other down, but it came off more like they were lost in the middle of a sequence, like a botch or something, like they didn't know what to do next, which I don't think was the case, but that's how it looked at first. Uh, but yeah, so not the greatest spot there where like my first thought is like, did they get lost? What's going on? <laughs> you know, did they get lost in the match? But yeah, Yohei got the pin on Yano with his double knee attack. Uh, other than that little sequence, you know, a lot of like fun dives and stuff. Fun little junior opener. I went three and a quarter. I enjoyed it. This was I gave this a strong three, not a ladies three, a strong three. Um, okay. I thought it was a good opener. I thought it achieved what opener should achieve. It got me. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good start to the show and got me ready for the rest of the evening. No complaints. So that, folks, is your Noah the Glory review. Uh, like I said at the start, good show. The top two matches, obviously outstanding. The rest of the card, you know, very much like if you have time, I don't think you'll like, you, it's not like you'll think it's a bad show or anything, but it's definitely not like full full of bangers or anything. It's just kind of, the rest of the undercard is just kind of an undercard. So Yeah, it's not full of bangers, but I, I think it's fun. I think yeah. you'll have a good time watching it. So let's talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling. I know... The the big thing going on right now is like, you know, why has fan interest in New Japan dropped off so much? I I think it's sort of a it's sort of a false premise because like the one thing people said, I, I noticed people people love to say this since 2019, when you know there there obviously was a drop in Western fan interest because uh, of AEW starting and the elite guys leaving. I don't think anyone would argue with that, but people always cherry pick the least interesting parts of the New Japan calendar full of shows that were not, you know, anything special and we're not drawing tons of online discussion, even during hotter years in New Japan history. And 
you know, I, I think any longtime New Japan fan will tell you there are two tours of the calendar every year that are basically like the the nadir of uh, New Japan for the year. It's Wrestling Nantaku, the tour on right now, and Destruction. Uh, there wasn't a Destruction tour last year because of uh, the fall, the G1 shifting to fall. But, you know, like people, people are like, oh, well, look how few people are talking about New Japan. Uh, you know, New Japan is dying. And, and the first of all, I, I will get it. Hopefully, if, if these people are actually like um, responsible, they will at least say Western fan interest. Because I've seen tweets that are like, nobody watches New Japan anymore. Uh, oh, they're down to just being the promotion for podcasters and reviewers. Ah, uh, yes. Like, and it's like, okay, at least. I understand that people don't seem to understand that like Japanese people exist some, a lot of the times, mm-hmm. but like this is the most egregious example. You are not talking about an American wrestling promotion or a British wrestling promotion or a European promotion. You are talking about a Japanese wrestling promotion that exists primarily and it's never been different, even when they were trying very hard to win over Western fans, which you know they're still doing, but they're limited by the pandemic. But the audience is primarily Japanese people. So if you were going to talk about no one watching New Japan anymore, you better be coming at me with uh, fucking television ratings of World Pro Wrestling or, uh, I don't know, YouTube views of their New Japan channel, like the actual Japanese one, not the English one, or some fucking metric that tracks the Japanese fan interest. Because it's not like tickets are... I mean, look, people can point at the Corkins all they want. The Corkins are, they run them every every two seconds. So obviously the Corkin uh, attendance, you know, is, is what it is at this point. They, they still make, the, the thing people don't uh, pay attention to is they charge 8,500 yen for every seat. So it went from being the cheapest seat in the building, went from being the equivalent of, I think, $35. I believe it was 3,500 yen. Maybe it was 4,500 yen. Either way, 35 or $45 to being the equivalent of $85. Uh, so that obviously is going to limit people. There's only so many people who are going to pay $85 to see a bunch of tag matches at Corrigan. I mean, they're not... So, but they have they do that to make money on it anyway, even though they're only getting, like, 300 fans. But, like, Dantaku, uh, I believe, sold out both nights already. It definitely sold out night two in two seconds. Uh, you know, it, this Hiroshima show looked very well attended. It did, I think, believe, like, 1,700 fans. You know, again, during COVID with the restrictions. Uh, with a, you know, a, a big... Uh, you know, rising in COVID cases in, uh, you know, some major areas of Japan at the same time. I mean, there's really no, there's no like evidence I can see out there that Japanese fan interest is, is uh, collapsing or anything. There's really no evidence of that. So again, if you are going to tweet, nobody's watching New Japan anymore, you better fucking be coming at me with like figures to back that up on the Japanese side. If what you mean is there's less Western fan interest which I believe is, you know, that's obviously true. I mean, there definitely is less Western fan interest right now in, in New Japan. Um, they just fucking say that. Just say Western fan. Just say, I don't see any Western fans watching New Japan. Western fans don't care about New Japan right now. That is a f- defensible statement. There's plenty of facts to back that up. Go ahead and make that statement. I still think you're cherry-picking a little bit by picking on a tour that even... In better times, people do not pay close attention to, and certainly hand wave all these corkins and stuff. I mean, you know, um, 
you know, it's not it's not like it's the fucking G one here, but you know, there is there clearly has been a, a lower level of Western fan interest in New Japan in twenty twenty one, even before this tour. You know, and I think that's a that's a very defensible statement. But make that statement then. Don't like these fucking tweets that sound like uh, we're the only people that exist on Earth. It's like it's a fucking Japanese wrestling promotion. The the number one driver of fan interest and what matters to them is their fan interest in Japan. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, but Western world is not always number one to all people at all times. So like acknowledge that you know you're talking about a promotion in another country where their primary audience is not you, which there never is an acknowledgement of that in a lot of these, uh, in a lot of these takes. So I want to throw that out there. And yeah. again, not when I listen to the flagship, you know, Joe Lanza said it right at the start when he was doing the same, a very similar segment, he said, Western fan interest. That's all you have to say. Yep. If all you want to talk about is Western fan interest, talk, just say you're talking about Western fan interest. Don't say nobody's watching new Japan because we don't, you don't know what the fucking fan interest is in Japan. And you clearly don't give a shit what the fan interest is in Japan. And, you know, they, there's, there's a, I mean, let's be honest. There is a large subset of the Western wrestling fans who have always pretended the Japanese fans don't exist, no matter what they're talking about when it comes to New Japan. And it fucking sucks. It's a shitty way of looking at the promotion. And, if, like, if your, if your way of looking at New Japan is not centered, first of all, on the domestic audience and what's going on there, when that's the primary audience of the company, and then you can also talk about the Western audience, then I don't know what you're doing. Then you shouldn't... Then go watch AEW, you know? Which plenty of people are doing. Great. But, like, if you're not going to talk about the actual... Fan, the primary fan base, if, that, if you're just going to pretend the primary fan base doesn't exist, then you might as well not watch New Japan. So... Or bother talking about it if you're not watching anymore, you know? There's anyway. there's a hint of like celebratory grave dancing in some of it also. Oh yeah, like I mean, a lot of people hate Will Ospreay, which I get. I don't like him either. I don't like him but... either. And don't get me wrong, if you don't want to watch New Japan because Will Ospreay's champion, have at it. You know, I'm all for that. You know, fine. But this grave dancing is like a little too celebratory. It's like, are you really that? Ex- I mean, I agree with you. Before I say what I'm about to say, you're absolutely right in everything you said. But it's like. Hypothetically, do you really want New Japan to be doing that badly? Because that's well, not people, that's not a good thing. Some people always hated them, so it's not even just. But you get what I'm them. saying, though. It's like, but yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I'm not for with very few with very few exceptions. Let me stress that I do not root for any wrestling company to fail because I want to have my options. Totally right. Sorry. And, yeah, <laughs> I, I want to. <laughs> I want to have my options, and. I am still a fan of Japan. Is my personal interest a little cold? Yeah, it's oh, a little yeah. cold. But I, I, I still consider myself a fan. I'm rooting for them. It's not like WWE where I've just given up. Yeah. I occasionally do watch WWE. I did watch the Manias, for example, for very specific matches. But o- over end, I don't expect WWE to give me consistent quality ever for yeah. the foreseeable future or longer. No. Um, New Japan, look... They've given me a long run of consecutively successful years, critically and commercially. I am willing to hang with them a little longer, especially since, you know, I'm hoping to see them next year. Um, yeah. I'm willing to give them a little bit of leeway and hope things pick back up because I think they fucking earned it. And I will say, you know, when, oh, sorry, go, go and when I see these tweets where it's like, oh, nobody's watching New Japan, I 
feel the same thing you do. It's like you're discounting a lot of fucking people who actually still do that are yeah. not you. And it's when like, I say okay, not you, I mean it. Western. <laughs> and look, I'm I am not educated on Japanese things. I could not tell you what the Japanese fan interest in New Japan is right now. So when I hear from you or other people who follow the Japanese business, I take their freaking word for it because I'm yeah. not educated. I mean, look, there's no, there's certainly no evidence of like a massive drop. Yeah. You would say things have dropped off a little bit. Yeah. I guess I could see it. And I just, I think it's really hard to parse. Yeah. But uh, a drop off is different than it's dead. It's really hard to parse how much of that is just COVID too. Yeah. Um, but like, there's clearly no evidence of any kind of big drop. So yeah, look, they're selling the tickets that that are out there for the most part. Is, is there is there criticism and is there fair shots to take at New Japan right now? Absolutely. Yeah, the booking, the booking, the booking <laughs> is awful. The um, there's, you know, the Will Osprey is a champion. We can discuss for yeah. hours, and we have. Yeah. Um. There's a lot of shots, but this grave dance and nobody watching New Japan. It's not true. Yeah. And I and you know because I do get obsessed on certain things. When I see that over my timeline, it does as a New Japan fan hit a little bit. It's like okay, maybe maybe things are bad. But then I'm like, well, it's bad for my side's interest. Yeah. Like we the Westerns, yeah, our interest is down, but we're not everyone, like you said, and we got to stop yeah. approaching shit like we're everyone. Exactly. Because it discounts millions of people whose opinions we're just pretty much saying, we're, you know, we're pretty much saying, oh, new J- Japanese people still watch New Japan, but that viewership doesn't matter. Yeah. That is or they don't exist to saying. me. I don't even think about them. I only think about Western fans. And if, if I don't see people on my timeline tweeting about it, then, yeah. you know, nobody nobody cares. Um, which we, we got to understand. Um, such a title way of looking at things. The Western expansion is, was a bonus. You know, yeah. a financially rewarding bonus for New Japan, but their bread and butter is still Japan because they're a Japanese company. Yeah. So we should have been, A, happy they were even trying to expand in America. B, be very unhappy and unfortunate that COVID cut that off. And C, yeah. I'm personally hoping we can get to a point where they get back to those operations and interest is high again because I think that's very beneficial and I think we need that. Now... You know, from my personal interest, is it at an all-time low? It pretty much is. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, there's a lot of factors. I don't, just, I don't think it's just like first of all, the booking is horrible. I think most people would agree at that at this point. It just the 2021 booking has been just whether you're talking about the the unification shit or Abushi's title reign or you know just all the wacky interference bullshit that feels like it never ends with Bullet Club and stuff. Just the booking has been pretty horrible. Um, second of all. I, I just above the booking for me, the COVID shit, it just really weighs on me at this point after a year of it. And like, it's nobody's fault. And I totally understand why New Japan has to look. It, people who say New Japan has a choice in the matter are wrong. They cannot be the only major sports property letting fans come to the building and cheer and scream. I mean, it, they just can't. I mean, the entire rest of the country is, you know, it's not even just sports. I mean, the 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 uh, MPB in baseball, J League in soccer, uh, they both ban cheering or of any kind. You can only clap. But like, there are signs at Japanese theme parks telling you, "Please scream in your heart, don't scream <laughs> loud on the roller coaster," because they believe so strongly in this. Like, you know, yelling releases virus particles, which is pretty much scientifically true, by the way. 
But I think now where I think they go a little overboard with it is like outdoors, there's not really a good, um, you know, uh, argument for like var- like a lot of virus spread at all anyway. Like the, you know, the, the seems like the virus really doesn't spread well outside anyway. So like screaming, especially with a mask on, probably wouldn't make any difference. But most, most wrestling shows are indoors anyway. So like, you know, it really wouldn't make that big of a difference at the end of the day. And, you know, New Japan, you know, they, they cannot be the only fucking company in the country saying, come scream your heads off during the middle of this pandemic. They just can't. Right. I mean, the, they're too big of a company. They they can't take that publicity hit. And, you know, unlike WWE, they do have a reputation that could be damaged. Um, so they, you know, they, the, the COVID stuff, it's not their fault, but man, is it weighing on me after a year plus of it. And unlike last year, I don't have the excuse of uh, my favorite wrestler maybe ever is the IWGP double champion uh, after all these years of waiting. So I'm going to make the best of it no matter what. Where now it's like, okay, well, Ibushi was the champion. I like Ibushi, not as much as Naito, obviously, but I do like him a lot. But I they, they ruined his character and just made, uh, like, it just was impossible to, uh, you know, relate to that character who's like, you know, I'm a god and I'm going to unify the belts no matter what people say. Just was, it was impossible to relate to that character. And, you know, the title ring was just such a dud. And then, you know, and now the champion's Will Ospreay, which I sure as shit don't have any uh, emotional attachment to him. Right. Really quite the contrary. So, you know, there isn't that, you know, added factor to to make me kind of want to gut it out. And, you know, the empty arena Corkins especially have gotten so repetitive. And these undercards have gotten, they've run so many shows now that, you know, it just, like, it, it become easier to skip it and just, like, you know, pick and choose and hope that I can get my, you know, New Japan fan love back up again. But, yeah. you know, and the other th- the third factor is I don't have any live shows on the horizon, which is like New Japan in the past, uh, you know, since like 2016 for me has been a live wrestling product. I mean, I have gone to Japan three times, 2016, 2017, and 2019 to see their shows live, big shows live. Uh, they've brought shows to me here in the U.S. I went to, you know, Long Beach in 2018 and then, uh, you know, the MSG show in 2019 and the, the G1 in Dallas and, uh, you know, the Strong Style, I think, oh, God, what the hell was it called? The the Fall Tour in 2019, whatever the fuck it was called, in New York City and Philly. And, like, you know, New Japan for me in the last, like, five years has been a live wrestling, you know, a, a wrestling product that I've consumed live. And... You know, I, I'm not going to have the same connection to it anymore when I can't see them live. It's right. Just, you know, it's just not. It's not going to have the same. Uh, you know, it's just not going to have the same connection to it. It's just not going to be a lot. And I don't know when I'm going to be able to see it live again. Like I'm hoping, you know, maybe by the end of the year I'll be able to go to Japan. But that's no guarantee. Yeah, that, and, that's what I'm hoping, as you know. Yeah, and it's like, who knows when I'll be able to start writing shows here again? So I just don't have that level of connection with it anymore either. So all that stuff adds up. I mean. You know, the booking sucks. The COVID restrictions are, you know, really weigh on every way on the shows and make them less exciting. And not being able to see them live anymore makes me less interested in them. Yeah. Um, I, so I don't think it's a one factor thing. That, that sounds like that makes total sense. And I do wonder to myself, just to continue this just a little longer before we get back to the wrestling matches. But, you know, because as you, as you alluded to, in January next year, I'm hoping you know, to be there for the very first time, you know, knock on whatever wood I can find next to me, you know, and I am dreading the possibility of that getting taken away because that is a possibility. 
Um, and I do wonder myself if I did not have that potential dome show trip to look forward to, what would my, what little cold interest I currently have in new Japan look like is what I still have for them right now, hanging on because I have that trip to look forward to. And I really don't want to be non-interested in a product that I'm spending all this money to go see in January because that makes no sense. So, you know, it's, it's very frustrating to think about because I, I don't want to feel this way about new Japan. I absolutely do not. I get no pleasure or joy of sitting here going, damn, I'm really not interested right now. I hate it. This has been my promotion since 2012, you know, when I finally started really getting deep into them thanks to Okada. So this is very unfun territory for me, and I don't like it. And I'm hoping these problems, some of them, again, not their fault. But I'm hoping these problems start to melt away, or at the very, very least, they start making modifications to them because they need to do something. Because while they're, while yes, their main audience is Japan as it should be. Let me restate that. You know, you don't want to lose the fan bases you have built. Yeah, it just it's not a, it's not good, and you are losing them, yeah. and you need to stop the bleeding. Uh, so let's get into some wrestling matches here. Let's start with, uh, so yes, all of that setup is like, we did not watch full cards here. Uh, I watched like four matches total and I think you watched a few more, but we'll get into the results and, uh, we'll talk about the matches we did watch. Uh, so we start on Monday, April 26th with the road to wrestling Duntaku show from Hiroshima Sun Plaza hall. Uh, the main event here to see a Naito defeating the great Okan in 2705 with the destino, uh, so this, this match was awesome, I thought. You know, you have this sea of Naito towels that's just coming out, just very cool. And he obviously has a special connection to Hiroshima because of his carp found his carp fandom, the uh, Hiroshima Carp NPB baseball team. Um, you know, he even says it feels like his hometown. Now, to be clear, Naito's from Tokyo. He's not from Hiroshima, <laughs> which is very far from Tokyo. It's like all the way out uh, on the western end of uh, the Honshu Island. But, you know, it's... Uh, it's kind of becoming spiritual. I can relate to this because I am, I live in, uh, I've grew up in the Northeastern United States. My favorite hockey team is the LA Kings. And I do like the Rangers as well. And my favorite baseball team is the Toronto Blue Jays. I do not like the Yankees at all or the Mets. So I can relate to uh, Naito's just randomly latching onto some faraway team. I, I, I'm very, he and I are very much alike in that regard. Uh, so Naito and Ocon, they do a lot of grappling on each other to, to start the match. Uh, at one point, Naito randomly acts like he's going to give Red Shoes a dragon spray or something. It was kind of funny. Don't know why he did that, but it, it was amusing. Uh, Okan goes after Naito's leg. Naito responds by going after Okan's ponytail. He's actually quite vicious about it. Uh, he first pulls back on it from a sort of camel clutch position in the ring, and then he pulls on it around a ring post. But Okan comes back with a big power slam on the floor. And Okan just keeps beating Naito up all over ringside. That results in Naito almost getting counted out. But he just barely beats the count at 19 after Okan had left him draped over the guardrail. And Okan, like, sitting there with his back turned in his, like, hands clasped position. Not even not even watching the count. That was pretty badass. Uh, they go back and forth for a while after that. Okan... He's the master of the understated counter, uh, which this company could use a lot more of. It has so much 
uh, you know, counter dancing and stuff that's like very over the top. But here, Naito runs in for the running Destino, and Okan, again, doesn't counter it with some long finisher exchange or whatever. He just has, hits a simple back elbow, uh, followed by a judo style takedown to take back control. So that was good stuff. And Okan then takes this crazy bump, like right after he does that very understated counter, he takes this crazy bump that right on the border of being a little too cartoony, but I decide I loved it. So Naito hits a his signature swinging DET off the ropes, and Okan hits the mat and then like launches himself all the way into the ropes like he's the rock taking a stone cold stunner. It was pretty great, but uh, like I said, I can see some people saying it was a little too much, but I liked it. Uh, Naito tries the Destino, only to eat another back elbow from Okan. Uh, he tries to Naito tries to answer with an Enzigiri, but Okan no sells it and runs him over the big lariat. Uh, he catches Naito coming off the ropes for his flying forearm in a sort of a bear hug position, and then just sort of slams him down to the mat. Another example of his awesome but extremely simple counters. He then hits a big boot that Naito takes his awesome flying bump for, but only gets a two count. And then Okan busts out the fucking Tenzin, Tenzan Tombstone Driver of all things for a two count. That was a great callback to his last feud. And it's almost like him saying, well, if you're going to still do the Mongolian chop, even though you lost that match, I'm going to steal your old finisher, asshole. <laughs> uh, and the crowd was like sort of shocked when Naito kicked out. They reacted big. I was like, really? You thought Okan was going to beat him with a TTD? Okay. Uh, Naito counters the Eliminator in midair with the Destino. Unlike some other complex Destino spots and especially counters, they can be very awkward. This one was fucking perfect. Okada takes around the back of his neck, too. Just amazing. But he still kicks out at two. And then Naito finally puts Okan down soon after with one final wind-up Destino. This was awesome. I think I may have actually liked it more than than their New Japan Cup match. It's really close. Uh, And the Hiroshima crowd... You know, helped about as much as a clap crowd could, so because they were very into this. So yeah, four and a quarter stars, uh, awesome match here. Definitely one I would highly recommend if you've been haven't been watching New Japan. Four and a quarter, and shock of all shocks, Naito and Okan have a great match. Who could have seen that one coming? Um, that was sarcasm, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, some of the people who pretend Naito's bad are. Especially the people who bring out Okan's bad. I'm getting, guess, I'm losing not. lots of patience with the Okan's bad crowd. And like, usually I'm, I'm willing to listen to reasonable, credible arguments saying Okan's bad, but I am not finding reasonable, credible arguments that Okan's bad. Um, yes, he has, yes, I, you know, how do I word this? Um, maybe he, maybe he's still a work in progress, but he's a work in progress that's picking up very freaking quickly. Um, yeah. And working with people like Naito, who, you know, you can you can point at whatever criticism of Naito you want. He's still one of the best in New Japan. There's just no disputing that. Yeah. Um, working with people like Naito, winning, beating Naito, losing Naito, he's going to pick up more, and he's going to pick it up quickly. His character works. He has his, he has his work down pat. He sells great. Okan's good. And I'm getting... You know, I'm just more rolling my eyes whenever I see these tweets, you know, or certain journalists trying to convince me he's not. It's like, you're missing the boat here big time. Yeah. It's not, I don't like, know. I don't it's know. not like you're, you know, jumping and barely missing the boat. Like you're tripping off the pier before you can even leap missing the boat. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's kind of embarrassing at this point. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I really love this match. Um, I wasn't... 
I was highly hyped going into it. I was not, it's one of the matches, like I was extremely satisfied and I wasn't caught off guard at the quality because I knew I was going to get quality. It wasn't like my, oh my God, that match was better than I expected. That match was exactly as good as I expected. In fact, I would not have been shocked if they achieved, you know, even a little higher rating if they keep wrestling each other. Right. This match is just damn good, and I recommend you all watch it. It's probably my second favorite match of everything we've watched of the week. Okan's good. <laughs> I just had to say that one more time. Uh, the semi-main event, Sonata beating Aaron Hanare in 23-28 with a moonsault. I seem to be lower on than this on some people, looking at like Grapple and some other places. I thought it was good, but I didn't love it. Uh, Hanare is now a bad man, so he attacks Sonata before the bell, whips him all over ringside. Uh, Sonata makes a brief comeback, but Hanare quickly cuts him off and starts targeting his leg, which uh, would end up being the problem with this match with me. So Hanare sends his leg in the railing repeatedly. We get a long single leg hold from Hanare. Certainly not the most thrilling action here. And Sonata's selling is also only so-so. I mean, you know, the man is very pretty, but he struggles to emote. And, uh, you know, he's not the best seller as a result. Uh, you know, that doesn't help. But he does make the ropes here eventually. And we immediately follow up all that leg work with Sonata jumping around perfectly fine. He does his big double leapfrog and his drop kick, and then a slingshot plancher to the floor. Okay, then. Like, why bother with the leg work if you're immediately going to blow it off and act like the leg is completely fine? Like, what the fuck was the point of it? Like, I don't know. Like, I, it's a big pet peeve of mine. I, I kind of ranted about it already on this episode. But, like, yeah. You know, the lack of the leg selling really took me out of the match here. Because, like, Sonata just was jumping around, doing all his normal stuff, right down to his missing a moonsault, didn't even hold the leg. Uh, eventually, Hanare gets Sonata in a stranglehold. Sonata weirdly pounds the mat like three times, but slowly, which I guess is not a tap out. It's just extremely weird. Uh, he does end up making the ropes. And there's a really cool spot where Hanare catches Sonata coming off the top rope for a crossbody, rolls through it, powers him up to a death body driver. That was really cool. Immediately hits a PK for good measure. Then uh, basically, you know, does like this big hits his big spear for a two count uh you know very cool sequence by far the high of the match up to this point and then sonata and hanare trade dragon sleeper attempts sonata eventually gets an o'connor roll to set up the skull end not ever not sure i've ever seen him do that before it's a very cool way to set up that move uh we get the 20 minute call as hanare struggles in it but sonata then lets him out and goes for the moonsault just when it looks like hanare is going out uh, I've ranted about that before. I don't love that as a spot, but whatever. Uh, Hanare gets his knees up, which leaves both guys down. They get into like a pretty cool strike exchange, ending with a big spin kick from Hanare. Uh, and then Hanare picks him up, and it goes to the streets of rage. But uh, Sonata lands on his feet. He gets his own little straight combo, followed by a tiger suplex hold. But Hanare kicks out at one. Hanare gives a big roar and runs to Sonata, but runs right into a TKO. And then Sonata hits a moonsault to the back, another one to the front, and that's the pen. Now, they pulled this out of the fire for me with a really fun finishing stretch, but I still can't go higher than three and a half, giving me boring leg work, and that was immediately blown off by Sonata. Um, a lot of people seem to be going four stars, so I guess I'm lo- I'm lower than uh, some people. But, you know, just the, the leg stuff really annoyed me. Uh, I can see why people got the four. If you, don't, if you didn't hate the leg stuff, there was a lot of good stuff here. 
Uh, I was a little surprised by the having the newly turned to Nare job here. I mean, there, there's like way too much even Steven booking in New Japan these days in general, really going back years now. That's not a new development. But like, you know, just in this case, like just let Hanari get a second straight pin over Sonata. Like, what the fuck is that really going to do with Sonata at this point? He's not like he's a guy you're protecting for the title, at, you know? And like, you know, he pins it on that six-man tag at Sakura Genesis. Just let Hanari get his win back. I don't know. I mean, he did look, I guess, reasonably strong in defeat here, I guess. But it's not the call I would have made. I would have had I would have had an RA win here. I was leaning when I watched this match. I was leaning towards three and three fourths until Sonata won, and then that made me put it down to three and a half. And that's not so much anti-Sonata as much as I thought Hinari could really have used the victory, especially when you're you know you you're promoting this new attitude, this new persona. How joining the Empire is going to be this big boost for him. Sonata would have lost nothing in this loss. Hinari would have gained everything in this victory. And I know, I I say I know, I don't know, I don't, I just don't think Sonata should have won that. I, especially the final one-third of this match, I was really into. I really thought Hinari looked good this match. Um, and I was just really deflated when he didn't win. Like, I know he's supposed to be the bad guy and I should be booing him and hoping he loses, but from a, you know, critiquing standpoint, I was really hoping he get the win. And when he didn't, it's like, oh, this match just did not land the way I was hoping it would in the end. And so that maybe put it down to three and a half. There you go. Uh, so we got to end up with the same rating there. <laughs> so yep. did you watch anything else from the show? I did not. No. So it's a bunch of undercard tags. Not just going to read off names or anything. I mean, really, the, the tags don't really matter anyway. So let's go to the first of the two uh, Wrestling Satsuma no Kuni shows uh, from April 28th on Wednesday from the Kagoshima Arena. Uh, the main event here was Sho and Yo, Rapunky 3K, defeating the team of Kanemaru and Desperado in 2710. Sho pins Kanemaru with the strong X to retain the junior tie titles in their first defense. Uh, look, this match was fine. I mean, look, I I feel like I don't. I really struggled to have much to say about this one. Like, it wasn't bad, but I've watched these teams fight each other for it feels like a fucking trillion times, and this was really no different than any of their other past matches. And like, the junior tag belts at this point are the most pointless division in this company. They don't have enough teams, you know. Without any, without especially without the foreigners being there, you know, as often or some of them not at all. And they never do anything different with them anyway. And it's just, I, I really struggle to care. It's like, how many times can you watch the same two teams fight? I know Yo just got back, but like, you know, they still wrestle each other a million times. I don't really get Yo's new outfit, by the way. It's like he's wearing some kind of black mini skirt over the rest of his gear or something. And there's nothing wrong with the dude in a skirt, of course, but it looks very strange. It looks like, or maybe like a garbage bag skirt or something. Just like, I don't know. It doesn't work. Do you have anything to say about Yo's fashion choice? Because I, I think it looks horrible. I really don't have anything to add. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but yes, Desperado, uh, you know, nearly gets Yo to submit to the numero dos. Show runs in to save the day. There was some great selling from Yo there. And then Show pins Kanemaru after they hit the double team strong X on him. Way too long. I guess it was fine. But like I said, I'm so over watching these two teams. And this was 25 minutes long. I went three stars, a, a definitely definitely a gentleman's three. 
Uh, I really can't even tell you much about what happened this match. I just don't. It, it was in in my in my brain and immediately out of my brain. So, you ever about to say something and do you realize how callous it sounds? Because that's where I'm at right now. But I'm going to say, even though it does come off callous, I think Yoho coming back from injury was a bad thing for show. Um, <laughs> And I don't mean that as any negative towards Joe, but I really did not want Show to be back in this division. I really didn't. I wanted Show to just stay a singles a little bit longer because I really, I was really liking him as a singles competitor. And further for that, you know, I just feel like now we're, I feel like, like, I feel like we're now um, rebooting a series that did not need to be rebooted. It's like, okay, yay, Show and Yo are junior tag team champions again facing who oh them again i guess we can just do reruns in this syndicate show um it's just i have like it's hard for me to say anything because my interest level is not existence for this division at all i i guess i'll go a ladies three but really that's being more generous than it's not even the match's fault as much as i can't really give a high rating to a match where I just go into it with so much not caring. And when I don't care about one of your title divisions, your title division really needs work because I am the easiest fangirl to please when it comes to title division. So when I'm coming to your product and saying your title division means nothing, your title division means nothing. <laughs> so I don't know what the solution is because I don't see any quick fixes for it. So I'm going to give it a ladies three and just be like, ugh, I don't want to see these teams wrestle again for a while. There you go. Uh, I took him to see it. <laughs> totally agree. All right, folks. Now we got to get into oh, no. a fucking match. <laughs> the KOPW 2021 provisional. Creation of Darkness blindfold match. Toriano defeats Evil in what this website alleges was 14 minutes and 58 seconds. I believe they mean 14 hours and 58 minutes uh, with a schoolboy to retain BKOBW 2021. Uh, okay. First of all, has to be said again how much cooler Evil's match stipulation, basically a match with the rolling time blackouts was, that sounded so much cooler than Yano's stipulation, uh, but Yano pulled off a narrow win with 51.8% uh, of the votes. Okay. The stipulation here was there were blindfolds. The blindfolds had to be on for you to lose. But they were not tied to anything, so you could take them off at any time. Uh, so this led to spots like Evil had Yano tied to the guardrail with seemingly no way out for him. But the count of 29, he suddenly remembered, oh yeah. I can just take this stupid hood off my head and I can't lose. So he takes the hood off his head and the referee stops the count, even though he's still outside the ring. So to be clear, you cannot be counted out and presumably you can't be disqualified if you don't have the hood on. So why these wrestlers like had to cheat and they had to turn the lights off at some point, um, you know, uh, evil like evil and Togo turned the lights off at one point. Why do they have to do that to cheat? You don't have to like, do a rough bump or anything. If you don't have the hood on, you can't lose. So just fucking hit people with the fucking weapons all you want. Uh, Yano comes back from the outside at one point with a blindfold that has two fucking eye holes cut in it. I don't even know what to make of this or how that's legal or whatever. I mean, he has a hood on. Presumably you can DQ him. 
for cutting those, those holes in there. But whatever, sure. Uh, at some point, the lights do go out, which, remember, was Evil's stipulation idea. Uh, when they come back on, Evil was choking on with the spoilers choker. Uh, but remember, the, I, I don't know why. The ref could see him doing that when the lights come back on, but I guess he can't be DQ'd. He doesn't have a fucking blindfold on. Uh, in, in which case, I don't know why he had to turn the lights out in the first place. And then we see a shot of Togo walking from the back, I guess implying he was the one to turn the lights off. I mean, who else would it have been, guys? I mean, of course it was Dick Togo. Uh, Evil then gets Yano in the Scorpion Deathlock. Yano, this was this was maybe the spot that made me want to fucking, like, kill somebody. Evil has Yano in the, door, in the Deathlock. Yano simply removes his blindfold. And apparently, that is as good as a rope break as the referee immediately lets, makes Evil let go of the fucking hold. What the fuck? I get that Evil can't win as long as the hood is on Yano, but why did the ref... Like, Yano takes this off, the ref starts counting to five, like, Yano grabs the ropes and makes Evil let go of the hold. Why would you do that? Like, why would it be a situation where Yano can stay in the hold and tap out and it just won't end the match? Like, when you see a wrestler apply a submission in any match stipulation, like a fucking last man standing match or whatever, where the submissions don't count. They don't make... If if a guy got it, gets a submission in a last man standing match, they don't say, no, you gotta let go of that submission right now, sir, you can't win with that. It's not a rope break. So why the fuck was Yano taking this hood off a fucking rope break? It makes no fucking sense. I mean, they... What the fuck? What the fuck? Which is so stupid. And Yano, at that point, he wins with his usual. Whatever. This might be the worst match in New Japan history. Zero redeeming value. The rules made no sense. It felt like it went on for hours. This, even when New Japan is bad, and it's been bad plenty lately, especially, I never feel like I'm watching WWE, you know? I never feel like I'm watching WWE-level garbage that makes no fucking sense at all. That's what this felt like to me. This made... No fucking sense on any conceivable level. It was bad. The wrestling was bad. The action was bad. The stipulation was bad. Everything about this was bad. This is negative stars, if there ever was one. And this this KOPW has to go. It's so fucking terrible. And what the fuck? Is, what are they doing with Evil? Why would they make him double champion if he's going to be here losing to Oriano in a fucking stupid blindfold match? What What is this company doing with Evil? Why is this his, his role now? Where is the split with Jay White and the feud with Jay White like they, they were teasing? Why did that suddenly get dropped? Just what, what is wrong with this company when it comes to the Bullet Club? What is wrong with them? What are they doing? I, I just I don't get it anymore. I don't understand what the fuck they're doing. And yeah, this match fucking sucked. Wow. Well, be, let's, let's, let me start with evil. Let me start with evil because you ended with evil. And I think as I tried to reorganize my thoughts here, I'll start with evil. Um, regardless of what, regardless of the criticisms and shots I've thrown at evil and regardless of the criticism and shots other people have thrown at evil, evil is a former IWGP champion. We can argue circle whether or not he should have been IWGP champion. It doesn't take the fucking fact away he was an IWGP champion. He's not even a former, just a former champion. He's one of three people who ever held both titles. Yes, he's it's one of three people. You're right. He's one of three people the whole table. He should not be in these fucking bullshit stipulation matches against goddamn Yano. Regardless of what you may think of evil, evil should be above that. Point blank. You 
evil should be seen as a threat. Even with all the interference bullshit, evil is a big time player in the bullet club and should be seen as a threat. Shit like this just brings his value the fuck down. And I'm cursing so much. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> this, this match had no redeeming value. Just brings evil down. It does nothing for Yano. Not that anything ever really does anything for Yano. Cause it's fucking Yano. But you know, there's a lot of wrestlers you could put in this situation. I would have still hated this match, but I'm like, okay, at least it's Yano versus this wrestler. So nothing of value is lost. You put evil in this match. Evil should be doing other things. Like you said, the Jay White feud they were teasing at some point. Evil should be doing that. If Fiend matches from WWE did not exist, this would probably be my worst match in the past five years. This... This was you, and I'm not, and I'm not some person who comes on here and normally fucking hates on Yano and says how horrible he is. I mean, I Yano has amused me before. His comedy matches can be funny. This just was not funny on any level. It was fucking stupid. It was the rules made no sense. And again, it involved a wrestler that he should not be beating. It, it was dumb, and I'm putting that in a very mild state. Um, you know, I didn't. Not 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 necessarily people listening to this, but I can see some people on Twitter being like, well, you just don't enjoy fun. No, I fucking love fun. You know, this fangirl loves fun. Girls just want to have fun. This was, but, but loving fun does not mean looking at something that's stupid and has no redeeming value and then just forcing a laugh just for the sake of going, hey, that's funny. Because this was not fucking funny. It was not entertaining. It was not well done. You know, this is the type of match that you crumple it up and you throw it in the trash because trash, it's garbage. Yeah. And I don't, and I think you agree with me. I don't like coming on here and hating on something. Yeah. That is not what my prerogative of the fan, but when something's bad, you gotta call it as bad because if you don't, you'll just get more of it. Yeah, and you have no credibility. So. You have no credibility. No. And this was just bad. And it's not it fucking sucked. This fucking sucked on every level. And I just don't know what they're doing anymore with evil. I don't think they know what they're doing anymore with evil. And what are they like this KOPW thing? I'm sorry. This if this is going to be the Toriano Memorial title, stop having actual legitimate wrestlers challenge for it. Yes. If you want to have Fale and Chase Owens challenge for it, be my guest. Zack Sabre Jr. should not have even challenged for this thing. And Evil, sure as fuck, should not have challenged for this thing. I'm, so I think more anything, the reason I hate this match so much is because they put Evil in it. Like, I would probably still hate it if like um, Chase Owens was in it or Bad Luck Fale was in it, but at least with like, uh, it's Chase Owens and Bad Luck Fale. You put your... You put a formal double champion who you gave a win over Naito for. What's Two my, wins over Naito. Yeah, let's remind people of that. And you're right. Thanks for correcting that. Um, And now he's facing Yano and bullshit blindfold. He was just Matt. feuding with Okada a month ago. A feud of Okada like a month two, ago. Like two, for like two months he feuded with Okada. You know, and he <laughs> had a all-off feud of Sonata at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, it, I don't know. It, I just... Fucking sucks. It fucking sucks, and I and honestly, I think we need to stop because otherwise, I think you and me probably have ten more minutes of material. Yeah, why this yeah. sucks if we let ourselves? Yeah. So the only other match I watched on the show was match number four, which was uh, the eight man tag: Osprey, Okan, Hanari, and Cobb beating Shingo, Naito, Sonata, and Bushi. Uh, Cobb pinned Bushi in twelve fifteen with the tour of the islands. Uh, this was good. I mean, it's a fun, energetic eight man tag. Had a really long closing stretch for a 12-minute match. You know, felt like a lot of action. Ended with Cobb pinning Bushi with the tour of the islands, like I just said. Uh, the one other note here was like, I know that he's a heel and he's supposed to be annoying, 
But Will Ospreay's mock clapping may be the most annoying clapping in human history. <laughs> I mean, just really, really annoying. But anyway, this is a good match. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say like you should fucking go crazy to see it or anything like that, but definitely, uh, you know, I think worth your 12 minutes. So did you see anything else on this show? I did not. So let's move over to the Kagoshima Night 2 on April 29th. Now, this one I had planned to watch at least the main event of the top two. Just did not happen with everything else that was going on uh, with me this weekend, you know, with the birthday festivities and stuff. But that was on Thursday, April 29th in Kagoshima. I also heard from my friend Quinlan that, like, the main event was very skippable, which uh, did not make me want to run out and watch it. Uh, but did you, what did you watch from this show? Um, I watched... Um, Just to be clear, this was the um, night two... Yeah, Night 2 from Kagoshima. Okay, Okanahashi just making sure. Um, I watched Naito and Shingo versus Osprey and Okan. And the main event. And I watched the main event. And So, start with the main event. Tanahashi and Ibushi beat Aaron Hanari and Jeff Cobb. Ibushi pinned Hanari in 1704 with the Kamigoe. What were your thoughts on this match, Jerry? Here's, here's the deal. Um, and I think this is a testament to how out of it New Japan is right now. I watched these matches, but nothing really stood out in memory of either of them, especially even this main event. Um, I probably gave it when I watched it three and a quarter, which for a main event with these four wrestlers, you probably want higher. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was fine with a capital F. It was nice to have a Bushi back in the main event. And there's a possibility that we may get a Bushi Cobb in the future, which could be quite fun. Yeah, I mean that seemed to be the few they were teasing after, at the uh, at Sakura Genesis that they lost the title. Yeah, um, I mean this was Abushi's only this is Abushi's only show the entire tour. Yeah, I mean he hasn't been on any prior show, even though he, not even the prior night, even though Kagoshima is basically his hometown, and he's not mm-hmm. on the upcoming Dontaku shows. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. But apparently, his post match interview, he spent like twenty minutes talking about the Olympics. That's all he was talking about was the Olympics. <laughs> just like, okay, you just lost your world title to the to Osprey on your first defense after you, you forcibly unified the titles and Ibushi's like, let's talk about the Olympics for a while. Okay. Yep. And Ibushi, so, all right. so it's a fine main event, but I'm not going to tell you to go watch it because you really don't have to. And the semi main was Shingo and Naito beating Osprey and Okan in 2152. Uh, Shingo beat Okan with the last of the dragon. So obviously to help him get some momentum going into his title challenge against Osprey coming up on Tuesday. Uh, what did you think of this one? Another three and a quarter. Um, again, fine. You know they did the Shingo. You know they did the Shingo will tease us. You know will tried to hit the hidden blade at the end of the match, but Shingo got the last of the dragon instead. I mean, sorry. Yeah, will try to hit the Stormbreaker and then Shingo hit the last of the dragon instead. You know to build up some heat and make us believe Shingo has a chance of beating him. I just, you know, and it's possible I might be underselling these matches, but as I'm just watching, I'm like, man, they're just not clicking. Yeah, I mean, I mean like I said, Quinlan pretty much had the same opinion as you. Like, he didn't think the other was uh, very good. Yeah, so. They're just not I mean, not like they were bad or anything, but just not. Yeah, they're not they're bad. Not. Like, I'm not here trashing these matches. They're good, but, you know, for semi-main, when you put them in the semi-main event spots, you know, semi-main and semi-main and main event spots used to mean, oh, you're about to get some high-end wrestling. Yeah, but but then again, you know, on these shows, maybe I shouldn't have been expecting that. But with the names involved, I like, am splitting, splitting splitting Satsuma no Kuni into two shows is like 
it's a little much. They didn't really have much to go with here. Yeah. So, you know, this tour sucks every year though. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Maybe I was expecting <laughs> a little too much from, the, yeah. from these matches, but when you look at the names involved, you know, I'm mean, looking, I'm at least expecting three and a half to three and three fourths. Yeah. Even if they're just going at three fourths half speed because they're just that good, but right. three and a quarter is best I can give for either match. Let's take a look at the Wrestling Dontaku shows because those are coming up very shortly here. And I will be uh, reviewing one of them. Oh, there you go. The first one is on Monday, May 3rd, so it may have already happened by the time you listen to this, uh, which we'll be covering. I, I neglected to mention the Patreon uh, much earlier, which I probably will have to insert a little add-in for. But yes, on the Patreon, uh, we'll be covering both these Dontaku shows, uh, May 3rd and May 4th, along with the All Japan Champion Carnival Final from May 3rd as well. On uh, a special Patreon exclusive on Mikase, uh, myself and Gerard from Voice of Wrestling, that will be recording on Tuesday. So another, uh, you know, it's a two, basically a two on Mikase week here uh, with a Patreon exclusive episode. So this show, the first Antaku show on May 3rd, uh, is made evented by the Tanahashi versus Jay White Never title match, which could not feel more cold if they tried. I mean, there's already a cold feud, and then Jay White skipped this entire tour until this show. So now it's an ice cold feel. I can't imagine anybody cares. Uh, it's Tanahashi's second defense. Maybe Jay will beat him. I don't really know. I don't really care. <laughs> I really don't have much, much to say about it. Yeah. Uh, then we have the two singles matches because uh, G.O.D. versus Dangerous Techers was too big a match to put on these shows, apparently. Uh, first, the Iron Finger from Hell match is a semi-main event. Uh, that's Taichi and Tamatanga. So the Iron Finger saga will come to an end. I, as far as wacky stuff, I'm kind of into this. I kind of want to see what's going to happen. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what they do here. And then match four is the Right to Challenge IWGP Tag Title match with Zack Sabre Jr. against Tonga Loa. Um, that could be pretty damn good. I mean, Tonga Loa, like I said earlier, has like, really improved. And like he mm-hmm. and Zack had some really fun exchanges in their tag title match last month. Uh, so the stipulation here is if Zach wins, the Dangerous Techers get another title shot against G.O.D. If Tongaloa wins, they can the Dangerous Techers can never get another IWGB tag team title shot. Now, I assume Zach is winning because uh, it would make the semi-main event kind of stupid if now Taichi and Tonga, Tama Tonga are fighting these Iron Fingers after uh, you know te- Techers can no longer challenge the tag titles. So, But who knows, I guess. And that's really all there is to this show. The other three matches are all multi-man. I bet, I bet they're all multi, yes. And lucky gal, I reviewed this show. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look... I wouldn't say it looks awful or anything. I'm, I'm interested in the top three, at least. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't... Yeah. It, could be, it could be a long night, especially if the main event doesn't land, which the New Japan Cup match did not land for me, really, on that high of a level. Tanahashi White rarely lands for me. Really? I usually really like it. Like, I usually like the pairing, but... Just usually doesn't do it. And I like both wrestlers, don't get me wrong. I love I love Jay White because I love rooting against him, and Tanahashi is Tanahashi. So maybe this will be the match that clicks with me. Uh, Dontaku Night 2 from Tuesday, May 4th. Both these shows, by the way, are at the Fukuoka Convention Center. I don't think I mentioned that. Uh, the main event is Will Ospreay defending the IWGP World Heavyweight title, his first defense, against Shingo Takagi. Um, I'm sure it will be good. I'm sure some people will love it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm never as high on these matches as other people are. Uh, even the, even the best of super junior final that I was there live for, I went like four and a half and everybody else went match of the year, I think. Yeah. And you know, the, the last one they had 
the New Japan Cup final. I think I was like three and a half when everybody else was much higher. Yeah, I was so. four and a half, and I hated every star I gave it. <laughs> if that makes any so, sense. Okay. <laughs> we'll see here. Uh, the semi-main event, and I, I don't think there's any chance Shingo's going to win, I will say. No. Semi-main event, another one where I expect the champion to retain. Uh, El Desperado defends the IWGP junior title against Yo. Despy better retain. <laughs> also his first defense. And yeah, I agree. Better retain. And there's nothing else on this show. It's a two-match card. Everything else is multi-man tags again. So there you go. That is your Duntaku. Like I said, never an exciting tour. Never the exciting tour. <laughs> that just and, you know, that sounds just like the worst thing for a tour ever. Welcome to the never exciting tour. Yeah. Where you're now used as an excuse for your, you know... Rose color opinions. <laughs> yeah. El, but yeah, Despy better retain. That's the only thing I care about. <laughs> there you go. All right, folks. So I guess we can wrap things up here. Jerry, uh, anything else you want to plug? You already did plug. You're going to be doing the Dontaku Night One review. Yes, which of course, obviously, you can find at VoicesOfWrestling.com where you can hear my fun takes. Um, and then... And non-wrestling, because I do have non-wrestling. I am part of the WePlayRPGsPodcast.com crew, where we have various games going on. We have our main game that's done in a homebrewed setting, and we got some superhero games going on. And some other games I'm not part of, so I'm not going to bring them up, because that's just how egotistical I am. Um, <laughs> but all in all, it's a fun group of friends. We have fun. I like to think we're creative. And if you want to find me on Twitter... For some odd reason, I'm at Jarius underscore Jer. Just be warned. Isn't it the Jarius underscore Jer? Yes, because I'm always okay. bad at getting my correct name. <laughs> I've had it for years now. But you, you'll get the Lucas of warm takes. And occasionally I tried to post cute pictures of myself that are not wrestling related. And I rant about trans issues a lot. Just giving you the heads up. Not that I care if you aren't interested in that because it's my Twitter. So exactly. there you go. Uh, all right, folks. Thank you as always for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week on the free feed uh, with myself and my buddy Quinlan. We'll be doing a retro roulette. It'll be an interesting topic. It'll be, since obviously May is scheduled to have a Tokyo Dome show, whether or not that happens or not, we're doing a Tokyo Dome non-main event retro roulette. So anything except the main events, because I'm doing all the main events on the Omakase Patreon in a one-mat series already. But any any other Dome shows, New Japan or otherwise... We get them in the retro roulette, you know, uh, randomizer. And we pick a random match for it other than the main events. So that will be interesting. We'll do six random matches from six random Tokyo Dome shows. And again, that will be next week on the free feed. Our next actual episode will be Tuesday uh, on the Patreon. Myself and Gerard reviewing the All Japan Champion Carnival Final from Monday, May 3rd. And the uh, two nights of wrestling Dontaku from New Japan. So that will be uh, on Tuesday, on May 4th. Uh, on, again, only on the Omakase Patreon. Sign up right now. It's at the start of a month. Great time to sign up. Uh, only $5 at patreon.com slash wrestlingomakase. You'll get, you can listen to all of our Champion Carnival coverage. We reviewed every single show uh, dating back to night one. So you can hear all my Champion Carnival coverage on there. Uh, if you missed any of the tournament, want to catch up by audio and figure out what you want to watch, it's all on there. Uh, we'll be going back to a one-match series uh, where I review a, a match, you know, one match per episode, just like the name implies, uh, covering every Tokyo Dome main event in order. I will be resuming that series. Uh, we went up to about 1995, uh, the first time we started, leading up to Wrestle Kingdom this year. 
So we'll be jumping in from there in the middle of the New Japan UWF feud, covering every Tokyo Dome main event in order. Uh, should be a lot of fun. So that that will be all month all month uh, during the month of May, leading up to New Japan's scheduled Tokyo Dome show. Whether that show happens or not, we'll see. Uh, again, due to the state of emergency in Tokyo. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Russell Omakase, Wrestling Wouldn't Fit, uh, and that'll do it. Uh, thank you as always for listening, and I will see you next time.